Good to see everybody today. Uh, you know, with all of the interest in, in Revelation, I, I've really found the big question today is, wh- where, where did Dale get his shirt? And uh, Dale, what I've, what I've been saying is, it, it doesn't matter where he got it, they only made one. And, and so he, he got it. So Revelation and Dale's shirt is the big questions today. It, it is good. to. I feel like we're really lopsided today. I don't know what it is. <laughs> like 75% of the church over here and these over here say, give me the sun. I want it all. Bring it right here, right now. Man, it's great to have everybody here today. Welcome to you joining online and, of course, our Midlothian campus. Uh, exciting morning here. It is the end of our, our outdoor services. This has gone pretty well in June, hasn't it? I mean, the Lord's blessed us with, with good weather. We had that little thing last week, but uh, it's it's been a, a good month. But we knew when we announced this back in May that June would probably be about all we could do, that uh, we would be going back indoors. What worked out kind of well is that we are uh, at the Commonwealth is moving into stage three uh, next this week. Also, that doesn't change a lot for us, but I do think it makes some things easier. So uh, next week, and, and by the way, let me speak to our Midlothian campus. Everything I'm about to say is for the Colonial Heights campus, and, and Pastor Ham will be sharing specifically what that means to you also. But uh, next week, July 5th, we'll be back indoors. We'll have service at 9 and 11. And then on July 12th, we're going to come back and be able to offer our nursery, our children, and our youth ministries. We'll all be back up and going. And that'll be just at 9 o'clock. And uh, the reason for that is in between services, uh, we will be sanitizing and cleaning. And uh, we just can't cover the whole building in that short amount of time. It's, it's all we can do to cover the sanctuary and the bathrooms and concourse and everything. It's not even a, a, an issue of, of getting enough help. Uh, there's actually machinery that goes along with, with doing this. We have like a, a, I don't even know what it's called. It's like a super hydro Clorox blaster disease killer 101. I think that's what it's called. Uh, but but we, so there, there, we, we can do the sanctuary and the bathrooms. So we'll, we'll be just offering all of our children and youth at 9 o'clock. Uh, but worship at 9 and 11. You will not need to register for that. Uh, we believe we can handle the, the numbers and get that accomplished in those two hours and inside the standards. So we're excited about uh, being able to get back indoors next week. What I just announced... We're we're going to just kind of go ahead and call July. Uh, that's what July will look like. We're, we're certainly praying that as we move toward August, there's going to be uh, a continuing ability to open up and, and move forward. So 9 and 11 here uh, starting next week. And, and the next couple of Sundays, we're going to be taking a little break from Revelation, uh, doing, I think, some really important services. We'll be back. We're not losing anything in Revelation. I readjust the calendar so we could do this. We're going to be in Revelation, I think, almost to the end of October. But uh, next week, of course, is July 4th weekend and uh, patriotic weekend, and we're celebrating our country. But we're also celebrating our country at a time of where there's a lot of heaviness uh, uh, about our nation and what is going on. And, and we're going to try to have a service next week, I, I, I think, that is going to kind of combine 
dealing with that heaviness and celebration. And we're going to have a really special service. I, I really believe you'll want to be here for that next week. And then on July 12, I've got a special message, uh, again, kind of with what's going on in our nation right now and really how that intersects with our vision for our church, who and what we are in our community, and, and trying to bring all of that together. So a couple of Sundays here are a little bit different, but I think some, some great opportunities. Today we are in Revelation. That's good news also. We're, we're still in Revelation. And, and as answering the question today, is it, is it ever too late to be saved? Is it ever too late to be saved? Now, I would imagine a lot of us here, we know the answer to that question. But while we might know an answer, we tend to practically, we think differently. You know, we'll look at people around. I imagine everybody here has a person in your life, has had a person in your life that you look at and you think they're not ever getting saved. Am, am I right? You just, I, I mean, you know God can save anybody, but you, you got that, 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 that's never happening for them. And so while it's natural to feel that way, we have to do roll back and remember the actual right answer. No, it is never too late to be saved, especially if you're alive, right? Now, if you died, there's a different challenge. But as long as you are alive, man, God's grace can prevail. And we're looking today at some of the greatest evidence that it's never too late to be saved in two groups of people that are going to be saved inside of the tribulation. Now these are people, remember, they have, they have rejected Christ. Uh, they are living for themselves. You and I might wonder, well, well, what sins had they committed? What sins had they done? Doesn't matter what sins they'd done. Their sins were absolutely no different than your sins or my sins. They just never took their sins to the cross. They, they just never came to that place where they took their sins and their life and placed it under Jesus Christ. And so the rapture happened. And they were left behind. They're, they're here on the earth. They are literally at this moment teetering on the brink of eternity. And the odds are against them. But God's grace, God's grace, we are going to see people getting saved. Let's see what that looks like. Turn with me today to Revelation chapter 7. Last week we did an overview of all 19 judgments taking place between Revelation 6 through 16. Today we're in Revelation 7. I'm going to read all of 7 and then I'm going to go over to chapter 14 and pick up a, a, a few verses there. Revelation 7, let me begin in verse 1. It says, Then I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds, so they did not blow on the earth or the sea or even on any tree. And I saw another angel coming down from the east, carrying the seal of the living God. And he shouted to those four angels who'd been given power to harm land and sea, Wait! Wait, don't harm the land or the sea or the trees until we have placed the seal of God on the foreheads of his servants. And I heard how many were marked with the seal of God. A hundred and forty-four thousand were sealed from the tribes of Israel. From Judah, twelve thousand. From Reuben, twelve thousand. And then it goes on and lists the other ten tribes with each tribe, twelve thousand. Verse nine. 
After this, I saw a vast crowd. Okay, so we just talked about one group, distinctly Jewish. Now we're looking at another group. The 144,000 was on earth. This group is in heaven, but listen where they came from. See if you can pick it up. After this, I saw a vast crowd, too great to count, from every nation and tribe and people and language, standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb. They were clothed in white robes and they held palm branches in their hands and they were shouting with a great roar. Salvation comes from our God who sits on the throne and from the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living beings and they fell before the throne with their faces to the ground and they worshipped God. They sang, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and strength belong to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the 24 elders asked me, Who are these who are clothed in the white? Where did they come from? And I said to him, Sir... You are the one who knows. I love that answer from John. An angel comes up to John and says, Hey, uh, this, this crowd over here you're watching, where, where'd they come from? And John looks at the angel and says, Serious? You're asking me? You're the one with the answers. Why don't you go ahead and lay down that information? And so the, the angel does. And then he said to me, these are the ones who died in the great tribulation. Your translation may say these are the ones who came out of the tribulation. So this multitude, too many, too many to count was saved inside the tribulation. They have washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb and made them white. This is why they stand in front of God's throne and serve Him day and night in His temple. And He who sits on the throne will give them shelter. They will never again be hungry or thirsty. They will never be scorched by the heat of the sun. For the Lamb on the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of life-giving water. And listen to this last line. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Flip over to chapter 14, just a couple of verses there. Chapter 14, it says, Then I saw the Lamb standing on Mount Zion, and with Him were the 144,000 who had His name and His Father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a sound from heaven like the roar of mighty ocean waves or the rolling of loud thunder. It was like the sound of many harpists playing together. This great choir sang a wonderful new song in front of the throne of God and before the four living beings and the 24 elders. No one could learn this song except the 144,000 who'd been redeemed from the earth. This group of Christians gets a special song. This group assists people who came to Christ in the tribulation, were killed in the tribulation, are now in heaven. They have a song that just that group sings. We'll, we'll try to figure out why that might be. Verse 4, they had kept themselves as pure as virgins, following the Lamb wherever He goes. They have been purchased from among the people of the earth as a special offering to God, as first fruits to God and to the Lamb. They have told no lies and they are without blame. Boy, I don't know about you. I love these peaks into heaven, don't you? 
There's a little place where we get to kind of peek into heaven and see the, the worship of God. Obviously, what we just read in chapter 7 sounds similar, familiar to what we saw in chapters 4 and, and 5. We, we saw the angels and the four living beings and the 24 elders. And remember, the 24 elders is a term representing all of us. It's not 24 people. It, it, it's all of the church that is, that is there before the throne. And now there's a, a new group of people, the, these tribulational saints. And, and remember, on day one of the tribulation, there's no, uh, there's no believers on the earth. All believers have been raptured up into heaven, if you follow my line of thinking, and, and only unbelievers are on the earth because the time of the tribulation is a time of God's wrath on a Messiah-rejecting Israel and on a Christ-rejecting world, a great time of judgment and wrath, and yet right in the middle of it, what's happening? God's grace. Right in the middle of it is people being saved. Now, Revelation chapter 7 is an interlude between seal number 6 and seal number 7. You remember I said, sometimes for people, the difficulty in reading this book is you get lost. Where are we? What, what's happening? You remember I said you're, you're moving along chronologically, and then you stop and get some information. You pick back up and move chronologically, and then you get some information. Well, that, that's what's happening right here. Chapter 7 is, is giving us some information about who can survive. Remember, in chapter 6, verse 1, last week we went through 19 judgments. Chapter 6 gave us six of those judgments, the first six seals. In those seals, we see the coming of the Antichrist. Then we see war. We see famine. We see a series of events that results in one-fourth of the world's population dying in that single judgment. We hear the cry of the martyrs. And then that sixth seal is a, is a great... The, the, the planet is being devastated. Humanity is being devastated. And so when you get to the end of chapter 6, you'll see in verse 17, there's a question, a very natural question. Survive. I mean, the world is looking around at this. Heaven is looking around at this and saying, who can survive this? If you have your own, your own Bible and a pen, you can circle that question and then draw an arrow to chapter 7. Because chapter 7 is the answer to the question asked at the end of chapter 6. Who can survive? Well, I'm glad you asked. And it gives us two groups of people. That first group is just called the 144,000. And immediately they're introduced to us as having the seal of God. It's the 144,000 with this seal of God. This word for seal is, is, is the word, it's the idea of like a, a king. A king would get a signet ring. And, and he would use that ring to, to stamp documents, to, to stamp uh, materials. And, and with that seal, with that signet ring, that meant the king owned this. This authenticated that this belongs to the king and belonging to the king had the king's protection. And, and we have that seal on us. We belong to the king and we have his protection and, and, and so they, you know, the angel says, don't wait, we got, we got to authenticate who belongs to God. Now, remember on day one, no, nobody's saved. 
But now there's this 144,000 that that have the seal of God on, on their foreheads. Now we might wonder, can you like see this? Is this visible? Is this invisible, this seal? Because like you and I are sealed, right? The answer is yes, everybody nod. Yeah, we are sealed in the Holy Spirit. Now that's not something you and I can see each other, not physically. My guess is the spiritual realm can see it. The, the, the demons, the angels, heaven, they can all see who is sealed right here, right now. It's very visible. But to you and I, it's, it's not visible. I mean, I, I, you can't look at me and tell that I have, I have been sealed. Okay, so a sealing of God can be visible, it can be invisible, but what about here? Is it visible or invisible? I think from chapter 7, it's not quite clear, but chapter 14, it sure sounds visible, doesn't it? When you get to chapter 14 and they start describing where the seal is and what it says, the name of God, the name of, of the Father and the Son, it's a, why would you describe where it is and what it says if nobody can see it? It, it appears that, that, it, that these tribulational saints are being sealed in God with something that is visible, which makes me scared. Wow. <laughs> I mean, folks, they're living in a world that hates God. They're living in a world that hates the followers of God. If it's visible that I belong to him, that would seem to put a big target on me of who to come and kill. I mean, how do you hide when you've got it across your forehead? Because that is a question we all answer, isn't it? How do I hide right here? I know we ask that question because every single one of us has done it. There's not a person here who is not at some point in your life because of a person, a group of people, a place you were at, you just determined that the safer thing to do in this moment is just kind of hide that whole Christianity thing. I'm going to hide who I am in Christ. I'm going to hide what I have in Christ. That's not really how I want to be seen here. That's not really how I want to relate here. Every single one of us has hidden. Can you imagine not being able to hide? You think, God, how's that? How is that safe for them? Ah, of course, they have the seal of God on them. They're going to be protected for a season. They're going to be protected while they serve the purposes of God in that moment. But when we get to chapter 14, all 144,000 are where? They're in heaven. <laughs> they were on earth in chapter 7. They're all in heaven now. That means, and that mean, that means they were all killed. They, they ultimately, they were, they were not able to, to hide too much longer. That's a, that's a huge question we should be thinking about. What would it be like for me? What would I do if I couldn't? hide. Now these 144,000, a big question about is that number literal? Is this 144,000 individuals or is that number symbolic? Is is it symbolic of of something else? I I actually believe, and I don't know if it's just because I can't make up my mind, I actually think both things might be happening right here. It might be both symbolic and it might be literal. When I look at it symbolically, the, the number 12 in, in this culture, in this language, would be similar to our number 10. It, it's a number of completion. It's a number of perfection. It's a whole number. And so when they would say 12, it would be the idea. Yeah, it might be 12 things, but even bigger than that is the complete number. 
And so instead of saying there was 9,172,345 people who came to faith in Christ in Israel, who finally received their Messiah, instead of giving a number like that, it it would just maybe symbolically say 144,000. Now, I I lean toward that being literal until I see the breakdown. 12,000 from the tribe of Judah, 12,000 from the tribe of Reuben. And when I see that 12,000 from each tribe, I think that kind of looks symbolic there. One One of the reasons is the tribes are not the same size. I mean, Judah would be five, six, seven times the size of Benjamin, And so to have the exact same number coming out of each tribe, that's what makes me think and wonder, hey, is there something symbolic there? That the perfect number, the complete number, came out of each tribe. I think in large what this number is communicating is Israel has finally, after 2,000 years, received their Messiah. But then I turn to chapter 14. And it doesn't sound symbolic at all in chapter 14. It sounds very literal. There, there is 144,000 male virgins. I mean, that, that sounds like you're counting people there, doesn't it? At 1, 2, 139, 999, 144. That sounds like a, a, a very literal number there that have been marked to serve God's purposes. They are serving way behind enemy lines. They carry the brunt of the attack against the Antichrist. And their attack is not with weapons. It's, it's with the gospel. And, and they're described here as, as virgins. It's a little bit of an awkward name or, or, or term or, or character quality. I mean, you, you wonder, I mean, why, why would you pick that one way to describe them? Well, it does say something. When you live in an absolutely, incredibly sexually immoral world, where, in other words, there is actually no morality immorality. We don't even attach impurity or purity to that anymore. Well, then saying that actually is a character quality, isn't it? And, and yet, on top of describing them as virgins, I, I think something else that is happening there is it's pointing to their undivided loyalty and attention. They don't have a mate at home. They don't have children at home. They are wholly and fully following the Lamb. Listen, they are going to follow Christ no matter the cost, and it does not matter the cost because their lives are entirely His. Now, that would be true of somebody married, right? That would be true of a parent. And and yet with them, it's just a statement of they're not even wondering what's going on at home. They're not even wondering about a family. They are wholly devoted to following the Lamb. And will do that, obviously, chapter 14, to the point that it costs every one of their lives. But they're also called the first fruits. You, you, you have a harvest. I mean, you're going to ha- harvest the whole entire field. But the first fruits is the first part of the harvest. The first day, the first week. I'm not a farmer. I don't know exactly where the break would be. But, but the first fruits was a gift to God. The, the word tithing is used there. The idea for us, again, I'm, not, I'm assuming there are not many farmers out here, but the first part of my paycheck, that would be the first fruits. That's the, I'm going to use the, my paycheck first to give to the Lord, to honor the Lord. Well, think about this. If the number is symbolic, 
And 144,000 represents the whole nation. This large group of, of Israelites that are now following their Messiah. And now literally the 144,000 means the first fruits coming out of that group. That's where that number could be going back and forth, maybe symbolically and literally. But folks, let's wrap it up real simple here. What is the 144,000? Whether that's a literal number or a symbolic number, it is a group of people that on day one of the tribulation did not follow the Lord. And now they are following him no matter the cost. They, they are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now we transition chapter 7 from, from these that are serving the, the, the Lord and we transition to heaven and we're there around the throne and we saw all the same scene that we saw in 4 and 5 except there's a new group of believers, the tribulational saints. And they're from every nation and tribe and, and, and tongue and people. You know, it's interesting, folks. I mean, when you turn to Revelation, you're expecting mystery and intrigue and what's the mark of the beast and almost all this sci-fi stuff. And yet I get a peek at the throne and it speaks exactly to what we're dealing with in America today, doesn't it? Man, the people who worship God are a people of every skin color of every language. They're from every ethnicity. They're from every background. Folks, that is our target. That's where we're going. And the church is to look like that all along the way, is it not? Is this not the church's responsibility to be showing the nation something? God seems, every time He gives us a peek into heaven, every time we see the throne, it seems to be a priority to God to say, people from... Why can't He just say people? I mean, we would know that kind of means everybody, right? But He actually seems to go out of His way to say, from every nation, from every tongue, from every tribe, He wants us to know every kind of person. And what does it say there? They came out of the tribulation. On day one, they were unbelievers. And now they're in heaven. Now let's think about when they're in heaven. We're, we're, we're in chapter seven. The only thing that has happened is chapter six. The only thing that has happened is the first six of 19 judgments. We're not even a third of the way through the judgments yet. And yet we have a multitude of believers that have become believers in the tribulation are now in heaven. And note there that it says that, that God wipes away every tear from their eye. I want you to think for a moment. Imagine with me what these believers have seen and felt and experienced. They, on day one of the tribulation, woke up. Not probably all of them, but some of them. There was family and friends that had disappeared, right? It'll be interesting to see how the world describes one out of six, one out of seven people disappearing. Some of them they knew. And, and, and so you're dealing with what happened. Where's my, where's my mate? Where's, where's my child? Where, 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 what's, what, what is going on? And you just can imagine if all that has happened, kind of the fear, the anxiety, the confusion that comes from that. But then you know, almost immediately they're rolling into these judgments. There's this world leader and, and, and all of a sudden there's one fourth of the world dying. And, and folks, think how stressful the world it will be to live in at this time. We're getting a little bit, a little tiny flavor of that right now, aren't we? Aren't we stressed in America right now? We're stressed, we're hurting, we're angry, we're confused. I mean, we're just wound tight right now in America. 
this isn't even close to what the tribulation will be like. So we should be able to imagine, man, I've, I've lost people I love have disappeared. I'm now living in this world. We're angry. We're stressed. We want answers. We, we want a direction. We want a way. And, and then somewhere in the midst of this, I come to Christ. Joy, right? But the second I come to Christ, I now have a target on me and the Antichrist is after me and I am running for my life. And then I'm killed. Now I'm in heaven. Good news. But I have now left behind not just family and friends that I loved and cared about that aren't saved, but I've left behind family and friends that I watched openly choose to follow the beast. Are you getting a a little bit of a feel for what these tribulational saints are carrying emotionally? I would say, and, and folks, we live in a world for 2,000 years where there are, there are places and there are time periods where multitudes of believers have paid with their life to follow Christ. They've been arrested. They've been persecuted. They've been fired. They've been made fun of. They've been run out of town. All kinds of bad things can go on for a believer. None of it is similar to what it is to be a Christian in the Great Tribulation. I think very much on purpose it says they're in heaven crying. Can you imagine as God places the palm of His hand on their face and wipes away that tear? What a touch. What a touch. And they're described as having their robes washed in the blood. Don't, don't you love that picture there? Washed. I mean, we don't wash anything in blood, do we? As a matter of fact, if something has blood on it, we now wonder if we just need to throw it away because you can't get blood. Blood's a mess. But this is a special blood, amen? This is a special blood, amen? Man, this is a blood that cleanses. What a reminder. Doesn't matter when you're saved. You were saved when, when, when Jesus was walking on the earth or in the tribulation. Your opportunity, my opportunity to stand before God and worship is not based on me being dressed in my goodness. Me being dressed in my righteousness. There's nobody around the throne dressed in what they did. And in what they accomplished, they are there dressed in the righteousness of Christ. Their beauty before God, their their position of being rewarded before God is because they are dressed in the righteousness of Christ alone, cleansed by His blood. Amen? Amen. So after having said all that about these two groups today, here's, here's my one question. How'd these people get saved? I mean, mean, just kind of think about the the practical ramifications of what's going on in the world. How did they get... Do you realize there's not a single individual on the planet that can walk up to any of them and say, I'm praying for you. There's not one single person that can say, hey, I've been through something similar. Can I tell you about what Christ did for me in that place? Not one person say, hey, why, why don't you come to church with me this week? Not one person who will be able to say, can I share the gospel with you? Can I tell you how you can know God's love and forgiveness? Not one person. Why? They've all been raptured. There's nobody here to give that witness. So how are these people saved? Now what I'm about to tell you is a guess. 
There, there's not a verse I can turn to that, that describes this. But I, I'm going I'm to give you my best guess, my best holy imagination. The first round, not the only people, but the first round of people that are going to come to Christ are churchgoers. So, well, I thought, the, I thought the church was raptured. No. Christians were raptured. All Christians are churchgoers. Not all churchgoers are Christians. I, I, don't, I don't know why that happens. I, I, I mean, it's, it's happening right now online here, here in the field out at Midlow. I mean, there are people that go to church a handful of times. There's people that go to church their whole lives. They're sitting in and around the truth all the time and, and never receive it. As the old saying used to go, they, they had the gospel up here, but it never made its way to their heart. They had knowledge, they had understanding, but they somehow they thought, I can still go stand before the throne dressed in, I'm a pretty good person. I'm a, I'm a real good person. I go to church. I do church things. I believe church stuff. But they got left behind because they never actually had received Christ. So as we get a day, two days, three weeks, a month into the tribulation, who is most likely to connect the dots? Who is most likely to look around and say, I know what's going on. It's somebody that sat all in and around the truth, but never received it. They're going to know what's going on. They're going to know it's God. They're going to know now what the gospel is and that they had never received it. And I believe that'll be your first group of people. Doesn't that kind of make sense? That, that would be the most likely group to, to cry out to Christ, save me. And, 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 and become his witnesses in this world. You know, as I, as I think about that, two things kind of come to my mind. And, the, you know, these are the two things we leave with. These, remember, we're not getting any of this just for information. So we go, oh, that's, that's interesting. No, we're, we're given this so that it changes how we live this week. It impacts and affects how we live this week. So two things. One, I, I'm encouraged, aren't you? God doesn't give up on people, so I shouldn't give up on people. There never actually is a place, there's never a, a, a Rubicon that, that, that somebody crosses and now they can't be saved. As long as you're alive, you can be saved. What does that say to you and me? Don't stop praying for them. Don't stop inviting them. Don't stop looking for opportunities to share the gospel. Amen? Be encouraged because I know what? I know, I know throughout here, today, here outdoors, online, I, my guess is many of us have somebody we love and care deeply about that does not follow our Savior. Don't quit. The second thing is more of a challenge. I don't know how to say this because it just doesn't come out sounding right. <laughs> you don't want to have to become a Christian in the tribulation. Now, the reason I say that doesn't sound, you always want to become a Christian. As long as you have life, you want to become a follower of Christ. Folks, you don't want to wait till the tribulation to call out to Christ. A price will be paid by them that no believer and no group of believers has ever had to endure in the history of Christianity. 
Why do you and I, either A, as an unbeliever, why do we waste the easiness of coming to Christ now? Or as believers, why do we waste the easiness of following Christ now and being faithful to him? Say, Pastor, Pastor it's, it's not easy. Man, there's a lot of stress. There's real cost. Yeah, there is stress and there is real cost. Folks, I don't know whether word to use when you look at the tribulation. One person says God puts his hand and respects and understands the tears and the emotions that they're carrying, and it is that tribulational believer. You know, I, I don't anticipate one day that, that I'm going to be standing next to a, a tribulational saint before the throne, and I'm going to look at them, and I'm going to be embarrassed. I'm going to be, because they paid such a greater cost than I did. Or I'm going to feel guilty because they paid such a higher price than I did. No, because the good news is God's not doing that kind of comparison. But do you know what I do want to be able to do when I stand next to that tribulational saint? I want to be able to say I was faithful with the time and place God put me. That's all they were. They were faithful with the time and place God put them. A much harder place than He's put you and me. The question is not how hard is it there, how easy is it here. The question is, am I faithful to live for Christ and His gospel? Or am I hiding? Am I hiding? Because it's just easier. The fact that it's easier to hide also means it's easier to be faithful than it was for that group of Christians, that it will be for that group of Christians. I want to be faithful before that throne. Amen? I don't want to waste. And I struggle with using this word, folks, but I don't want to, I don't want to waste the ease of the time and place that God has put me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank You that that it's never too late. I thank You that You never never give up on people. You keep bringing grace. You keep bringing the Gospel. And and Lord, I want to pray for the courage and the faith and the strength to live faithfully for You in my world and not to hide... I, I, I do believe it could be incredibly embarrassing to see how, how all these people lived for you in the worst imaginable world ever and then see me hiding in the easiest place ever. God, I pray for myself. I, I, I pray for each one of us here that we will think about what, what it means for us this day, this week, to be faithful this day, this week, to no longer be hiding, but to live clearly and profoundly Your grace, Your goodness, Your Word, Your truth. In the name of Jesus, we ask this. Amen and amen.